Well, good morning. My name is J.P. Sibley, and I bring y'all greetings from Orangeburg, from New City Fellowship, a church which y'all are helping plant, and you really are, um, through your prayers, through your financial gifts, um, through your faithful uh, support and asking us how we're doing, and um, really just encouraging us. Um, the work down in Orangeburg has been, uh, has been really long and arduous and hard, and um, I apologize for the, uh, the microphone. It's actually my fault um, because I was trying to wear one of those headphone things, and I have little tiny ears. Don't look at my ears. <laughs> but the thing just didn't fit, so that's my fault. Um, and I appreciate your sound guy for working with me. Um, do you need me to do anything, or are you good? Okay. Well, some of you have come here this morning expecting to hear bad news, I think. Some of us have just been hearing bad news for a while, maybe because of circumstances in our lives, you know, that report that came out or that news that you got from the doctor or what your kid said to you yesterday. Sometimes I think we just come expecting bad news. But Jesus was manifest to bring good news. And this morning as we open God's Word, that's what He has for us. Not bad news, but good news. And I want us to just think about what does good news sound like? Dinner's ready. Especially at Thanksgiving, right? The cancer is gone. We won! Says all the Georgia fans. You're hired. Man, good news. It just sort of sinks into your soul, doesn't it? When you hear that good news. But sometimes good news is just ordinary. It's just every day. And sometimes it's extraordinary. It hits us and surprises us in ways that that just knocks us off our feet. And the good news about Jesus Christ is both. It's both ordinary and extraordinary. If you will turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read about this good news. The people of Israel had waited 400 years to hear some good news. 400 years. It had been a long time since the last prophet Malachi had spoken. They needed to hear some good news. And in fact, our passage this morning contains that word, that gospel word, that good news word for the very first time in the history of the covenant. Good news is going to be proclaimed Would you stand as I read God's Word? I'm not sure what your custom is, but at New City, that's what we do. Let's give our attention to God's Word from Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, 
to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving, Zechariah, as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, but remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days... His wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom and insight and ears to hear. Speak, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. May be seated. The good news is ordinary. It's just ordinary. God works through ordinary things, and God works through ordinary people. Take a look at the beginning of this passage in verse 1, where Luke lays out a historical narrative. He's just writing the things that happen. Look at what he says. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, he knows he's not the only one to write these things down, 
a narrative of the things that have been accomplished. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. See, he's, he's just writing out things that eyewitnesses have told him. So it's rooted in ordinary life. This message, this gospel good news is rooted in eyewitness accounts. It is written for Theophilus to have certainty of the things that he's been taught. See, Luke doesn't want it to just be hearsay. He says, we're going to write this down. It's been investigated. There's proof for all the things that I'm writing you. That's why he's writing it down for certainty about the things that you have been taught. This is not a fairy tale he's writing. He doesn't open with, once upon a time, in a land far away, there was a man named Herod, and he was... No, it's not like that. It doesn't read like a myth. It reads like history. It's rooted in real life. He mentions a real king who really lived, King Herod, who also is known as what? Herod the... Does anybody know? Herod the Great. Was Herod great? No. Herod was great in some ways. He was famous for his architecture, for his uh, building projects, one of which was the temple remodel, which he made look amazing, and which the Jews were very proud of. But King Herod was, was not so great. He was a wretch. He murdered members of his own family. He was responsible for the massacre at Bethlehem when Jesus was being born. This guy is mentioned here just to set up the context of ordinary life. That this is rooted in reality, that that in this day there were corrupt politicians. In our day we have corrupt politicians, don't we? In every age we we have wicked leaders that we have to live under. And we do, we live under wicked leaders in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our households. We live under ordinary circumstances of life. And that's exactly how this starts. The good news is that God works through ordinary things. And the context here is a story about worship. And it's not some special feast once a year. No, it's a daily grind of going into the temple in the morning and the evening and burning incense. It's in the context of the ordinary worship of God. Just the ordinary worship of God. The people, in verse 8, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, his division was on duty. He was on duty. He was going to work. According to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And I want you to think about this. They were gathering to pray, just like we've gathered for worship today. And I don't think that they came in there thinking that an angel was going to appear to Zechariah. I don't think that was in anyone's mind as they came to worship the Lord that day. As they came to pray and to seek God's face. See, this is not extraordinary prayer. It's just normal prayer. It's just what God calls us to do every day. To come to Him. To pray. To worship Him. And burning incense in the temple was a rare honor for a priest. There were some 18,000 priests at this time. 
weren't just a few guys who did this. This was a multitude of priests who took turns. There were 24 divisions, and they had to show up for one week at a time, twice a year, to the temple, to work in the temple. And among Zechariah's group, his, his was the division of Abijah, which was number 8 of 24. And he came in to the temple, and he burned incense. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But it was still ordinary. It happened every day, twice a day. Sometimes we forget this, that God works through ordinary things. We want our spiritual lives to be spectacular. We want our spiritual lives to be amazing. We want to, have, we want to come to church and have an experience where we're, where we're just overjoyed and filled with this, with this wonderful spiritual experience. But that's not really what God calls us to. He calls us to ordinary worship. He calls us to ordinary things like, like water and baptism. Like someone standing up and speaking to you. There's nothing special about this. It's ordinary. Prayer, fellowship, bread, and wine. Common, ordinary things that God takes and He says, I want you to do these things to worship me. Ordinary things. The Christian life is not supposed to be spectacular. It is about waiting. It is about listening. It is about resting, believing, and hoping. The Christian life, if you're expecting something spectacular or amazing to happen, we need to get ourselves into a, a rhythm of the ordinary. Into a pattern of waiting, like the people of God waited 400 years, going to worship every day, burning incense. Waiting, praying, trusting the Lord. God works through ordinary things. So be encouraged in your spiritual life. If you're feeling like, man, I, I, my devotional life is, is, is a wreck. Uh, you know, I don't have this great spiritual experience that I hear other people are having. Be encouraged. God calls us to the ordinary grace of today. The ordinary things. So be encouraged in that. God works through ordinary things, and God works through ordinary people. There's no one spectacular in this room, I don't think. You might be here. If you're here, I apologize. I'm sure you'll let us know. But God works through ordinary people. Look at verse 3. Where Luke says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now you might think most excellent Theophilus means that this guy was something to write home about. But all of the commentators say, we have no idea who this guy is. No clue, no historical record beyond verse 3 and the beginning of Acts for who this guy is. Now, he was most excellent, which means he was probably some sort of civic leader, like a mayor, probably. Okay? And so he's important, but he's not that important. He's an ordinary leader. And this, this gospel that Luke is writing is being sent to him to, 
to help him to have certainty about the things that have been taught. And he's the one who preserves this gospel, as far as we know. Passes it around. Just an ordinary guy. An ordinary person whose name means lover of God. Theophilus. Think about Philadelphia, brotherly love. Theo means God. Philos means love. Lover of God. And think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're just ordinary people, aren't they? Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless. In verse 5 it says, or verse 6, They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Being righteous and blameless doesn't mean they were perfect. We get a picture that Zechariah wasn't so perfect, right? He doesn't even believe an angel. If God sent me an angel, I think I'm going to believe him. Maybe not. Zechariah wasn't perfect. But he and his wife were faithful, godly believers. Like God has called many of us to be. Through the power of his spirit. Through the transforming work of his gospel. So they're just ordinary people. Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. You know Abijah, right? You've heard of Abijah? No, probably not, because he's only mentioned once in the Bible in the Old Testament, and it's in the passage where all the priest uh, divisions are listed. And he's number eight. Eight of 24. He's nobody. He's a nobody priest in a nobody division. And he was chosen, how? To go in and burn incense. Do you remember? By lot. So they... So they flip a coin or they draw straws or however they did it. And he was not elected by popular vote. I mean, Zechariah wasn't um, you know, vying for the job. He just got randomly selected, randomly selected to go and to, to burn incense that day. This once-in-a-lifetime opportunity was not because he deserved it. He hadn't earned it. He hadn't proved himself after years of being a great priest. No, he was... Selected by Lot. He's an ordinary guy. Doing the work of God. And Elizabeth. I mean, she, the Bible tells us she was barren. She was unable to have children. She was older, which I think politely says advanced in years. So men, that's just a, a little tip. When you're, whenever someone says, how old are you? You say, well, she's just advanced in years. Don't say that. That's bad. Maybe it's a little softer than saying she's just old. And you know, in our church, we just finished Genesis 1 through 3, and we ended with the curse as a result of sin, and how the cur- one part of the curse for the woman was pain and childbearing. And we see in Elizabeth's life the evidence of living in a broken and fallen world. We've, we've talked about that already this morning, how our, how our lives are broken. Because we live in a a sin-stained world. It's just things don't work the way they're supposed to. Elizabeth's body didn't work the way that it was supposed to. It's not a result of her sin, necessarily, but just living in a broken world. And so we see the evidence of that in her life. These ordinary people that God is using to do His work. Last week, I had the privilege of singing with 
the choir at Claflin University, and we performed Handel's Messiah. It was awesome. Um, what a privilege to be there, to be among all these great musicians and to get to sing. Um, I did go to Furman University, and I did sing in Furman Singers, so I know a little bit about what I'm doing, but I still felt a little out of place. And at one point after our warm-up for the performance, the conductor, uh, who I think has been there 20, 25 years, he said, now, all of the community members who are helping, which, of which there were five, um, I'd like you all to go, and you all are welcome to go to the reception that they're holding over here in this other building, and we need to be back in time for the performance. So we thought, that's, that's neat. You know, we got invited to a reception. So I walk over to the reception, and as I'm getting closer to the door, it was a glass door, I could see who was inside. And I didn't see people like me. I saw people like college presidents. And I saw people like our mayor and our city councilmen and women. And I saw um, people who were uh, famous, at least in Orangeburg. <laughs> and I began to feel a little bit like, yeah, I mean, I know I was invited to go in there, but I probably shouldn't. So I went and stood at the door for a little bit and listened to uh, one of these business leaders in town sort of, you know, tooting his own horn. And um, eventually I just kind of walked away. I said, it, it, really, it really isn't for me. It was nice for them to invite me, but it really isn't for me. I don't belong here. It was a VIP room. Maybe you, like me, feel like you, you don't really belong in certain places. Maybe, maybe you, you feel uncomfortable in a VIP room. Maybe you feel unimportant. Maybe you're more important than you think you are, but you feel unimportant. Maybe you feel ordinary. The good news in this passage is that God works through ordinary people. God exalts the humble. God puts his treasure in clay pots so that his glory is known and not ours. There are not any Superman Christians. There just aren't. There's only Jesus Christ and what he does in your life. Luke is the one who says, blessed or who records Jesus' words, blessed are the poor. The good news is ordinary. The good news is for God to do ordinary things through ordinary people. But it's not just ordinary. It's also extraordinary. And you can't miss it in this passage, can you? The good news is extraordinary. That God works through extraordinary things. Look with me at verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. An angel of the Lord, a messenger from God, appeared on the right side of the altar of incense. And a little background would be helpful here, because in Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron, the first priest, His two sons, Nadab and Abihu, some of you may know this story, they were going to do what? To offer incense before the Lord. And they did it in a way that was unworthy. Okay, we don't know exactly what unauthorized fire means, but it wasn't what they were supposed to be doing. Okay? And when they did, do you know what happened? 
fire came out from the presence of God and totally consumed these men. They were dead. Because they, they, they messed up in what they were supposed to be doing. They, they didn't do it out of faith. They did it out of unbelief. I don't know exactly what happened. But, but here's Zechariah going into that same incense, altar of incense, about to offer his, you know, his, do his job, and all of a sudden there is an angel standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and he was afraid. As any of us would be, but especially because of the circumstances. I mean, this couldn't be good news. This had to be bad news. But it wasn't, was it? It was, it was good news. The angel gives him the first good news. The word good news has the word angel in it. Do you know that? It's, it's, it's a good message. Euangelical is where we get the word evangelic, evangelical, which is a crazy word today, I know, but evangelical. Angelical. You get it? There's an angel giving him good news. And what does he say to him? Let's look at, or, or we're going to come back to what he said, but let's go to how does Zechariah respond? In verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, Okay, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to you to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pl- till the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. See, Zechariah is in disbelief. He's in unbelief. He can't believe that this could be true, that, that, that he could really have a child, that, that, the, that the Lord is really coming, that his son is going to be like Elijah, who was supposed to come in the great day of the Lord. They've been waiting for 400 years of silence. And now Zechariah, the one who received the message, is going to be silent? Talk about irony. How shall I know? It's the same question Abram asked. When God came to him and said, Abram, I'm going to give you a son. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. In the next verse, he says, how shall I know? So even in belief, there's unbelief. Disbelief. Could it really be true? How appropriate. The good news is a message to be spoken. And Gabriel strikes Zechariah with muteness. The good news is also a message to be heard. And we learn later that Zechariah was probably deaf as well. Because later, in in a passage we didn't read, they're going to be making signs to him. So hearing the good news and speaking the good news were his consequence to have to wait a little bit longer to be able to participate fully as an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things of God to proclaim God's good news about Jesus Christ. All of our sin is really unbelief. At some level, everything that we do to break God's command or to break God's heart are really an expression of unbelief or disbelief. I'll give you a couple examples. 
when we fall into coveting, wanting something that doesn't belong to us, wanting to improve our condition, coveting, it really comes down to not believing that God provides. Sometimes we lie because we want to cover over ourselves and kind of hedge ourselves in, so we lie to protect ourselves. But in that moment, we're, we're not believing that God says He will protect us. So we lie to protect ourselves. When we disobey God's commands, whatever they are, it's like we, we don't believe that God really loves us in that moment. We don't really believe that God has our best interest in mind. So every time we sin, it's rooted in unbelief. But God gives us unbelieving, disbelieving people an extraordinary message that the Lord is coming. That the Lord is coming himself. And God doesn't give us angelic visitation, but he has given us new life. He has, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you have been regenerated. God has has worked his miraculous power in your heart to take something dead and bring it to life. Something that was an enemy of God, someone who was an enemy of God to become God's friend. This is extraordinary. God does extraordinary things. And last, God works through extraordinary people. Extraordinary people. Thought you said there weren't any extraordinary people. Well, let's look at this word. Let's break it down. Extraordinary. Extra means outside, and ordinary means the norm. It's something outside the norm. God works through outsiders. People who are extraordinary. This letter is addressed to Theophilus. Theophilus, to our ear, may not sound any different than saying Sam or Katie. But Theophilus is a Greek word. It's a Gentile name. This letter, this gospel that Luke's writing is to the Gentiles. It's really written to those who were outside of the covenant promises of God. It's written to those outsiders out there who who were uncircumcised riffraff. That's who this is written to, to extraordinary people like Theophilus, for example. This is good news for outcasts. Look at verses 13 through 17 where he talks about John this promised child. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You're going to have a son, Zechariah. You're going to name him John, which means the Lord is gracious. 
The Lord is gracious. It's going to be the boy's name. He's going to bring joy and gladness. He's going to be great before the Lord. God's got a job for this guy to do, for your son. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Even from his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit is going to be working in his life. I want to read the last few verses from the book of Malachi. So if you have a a Bible, you can turn back there. I'm only going to read a few verses from Malachi. Because I want us to get the connection to something that was spoken 400 years before. God is speaking to his people through the prophet Malachi in chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Isn't that what they were doing? They were in the temple. They were remembering the statutes. Elizabeth, Zechariah, faithful to the Lord, following all of his commands. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Instead of bad news, there's going to be good news. I'm going to send Elijah. And Zechariah is hearing this news about an extraordinary man named John. God is gracious and God is going to send his grace out before he comes. And then he's coming. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is coming. And John will go before him. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're, they're, they're ordinary people, but they're extraordinary too because they are outsiders, aren't they? Elizabeth, in verse 25, it says, she says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days of the Lord. Thus the, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Elizabeth was an, was an outsider. She was extraordinary. She was, she was, she was really, in, in a real sense, made fun of. Later, uh, in, in, in another passage in Luke 1, it says that she was called barren. They called her barren. It, it, it's hard enough to have that reality, but to be called it, to be pointed at and, and made fun of, just like Hannah in the Old Testament was made fun of. Just like Sarai was made fun of for being barren, this woman, Elizabeth, was made fun of for being barren. She was under a reproach. But the good news is that that reproach is being taken away. These outsiders are being brought in and loved by God. That God looks upon them like He looks upon each one of us. He looks upon us and He loves us and He, and he takes away our reproach. God sent Gabriel to bring good news to these people and to us. And God is sending us out to bear good news too. Everyone who has ears to hear and a mouth to speak. 
we can proclaim the good news of Jesus. He was an ordinary person, Jesus. He lived an ordinary life. He was born in the flesh. He had people. He was an ordinary human being. He did ordinary things. He lived his life. He worked a job. He went to worship. He learned. He struggled. He suffered. He obeyed. But he wasn't just an ordinary person. He didn't just do ordinary things. He was an extraordinary person. Jesus is the Son of God. Eternal Son of God. By whom everything that we know was created. He is the ultimate outsider who became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus did extraordinary things. He became the great high priest. He became a better priest than Zechariah could ever hope to be. Because Jesus, not only off, he didn't offer sacrifices daily, but he offered for one time his own life as a sacrifice to take away our reproach, to take away the shame of our sin, and to give us new life, new hope, good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of your kindness to us. Thank you that you use ordinary people like us, even extraordinary people who are outsiders. God, we thank you. Thank you for the struggle of today. We thank you for your care for us, that you, even now, are looking upon us. That you will take away our reproach. That you, O oh Lord, are gracious. Be with us and go with us in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.